This is a podcast from Real Life Sango in Clarksville, Tennessee. Thank you for being a part of our online community. We would love for you to join us at 8.30 or 10 a.m. on Sunday morning at the City Forum. In the meantime, if you would like to share a prayer request, make a financial contribution, or take a step at Real Life, you can text MISSION to 97000. Now enjoy the podcast. It was uh, 2004, 2005, and we were living in downtown Louisville. And a couple of buddies of mine and I were at a coffee shop, and we came out of a coffee shop, and there was a seemingly homeless man there um, asking for money. And so um, the way I used to roll when people would ask me for money is I would give them whatever I had, and I would preach them a little two-minute sermon, you know, about, like, this isn't my money, it's God's money, and if you don't use it right, you know, God's going to hold you accountable. Have you ever done that? That's the way I would usually do it. And we, it was a Saturday night, and we gave this man the phone number of one of our buddies and said, hey, we would love for you to come to church with us tomorrow. And it was kind of one of those scenarios where you've probably been there where you just think, I'm never going to see this person again in my life, you know, like, I'm going to give you money, I'm inviting you to church, call us tomorrow, I don't even know if you have a phone, you know, and we'll probably never see you again the rest of our life. And um, the next morning, he calls our buddy. And he drives from the seminary downtown and picks him up and and drives him up to church where we went about 25 minutes north of of Louisville. And uh, Carrie was the man's name, and Carrie slept through the whole service. (laughs) And Carrie began to meet with us. He came over that week, and in tears, he just shared with us that he used the money that we gave him for drugs. And he was just broken. 40-year-old man, it turns out he had been addicted to cocaine for like 10 years just living on the streets and in crack houses. And, and so we found uh, 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 this, this kind of year-long intensive kind of boot camp kind of a, a rehab place for him to go to out in the middle of Indiana. And so we call them, and of course they don't want to talk to us, they want to talk to him. And so, um, so they want to talk to him, so we pass the phone to him, and he's like, yes, no, okay, uh-huh, all right, bye. And we're like, what did he say? What did they say? And they said, well, they, they said I have to be clean for 24 hours before they'll talk to me. And so, um, so we thought, okay, we know, if he, we know if he goes out on the streets tonight, he's not going to be clean. Like, the only place he has to sleep is the crack house. He's been addicted to cocaine for 10 years. Like, the chances of him being clean is, are not high. So I pull my buddy, I, I, I pull my buddy in out, out, out of the room, and I say, hey, would you stay here tonight with us if we, if we let him stay? And he said, yeah. And then I pulled Susan. I said, hey, if, if Brett stays with us, are you okay if Carrie stays the night here? And she said, yes. And, and so Carrie stayed the night at our house. He got up the next day. He calls the place. Next thing you know, we're driving this man out into the middle of Indiana and dropping him off at this rehab place. And, and you guys, like I was a young seminary student, no kids, you know, and, and it was like the biggest spiritual high I've ever been on, you know. It's like, oh my goodness, the homeless man called us, he went to church, he confessed, he, you know, and now we're taking him in, in, in this, this rehab place. They had like this, for anybody that would stay a year, they had like 100% uh, non-relapse. Um, but any time that they wanted to leave, they could leave. 
And so we drop Carrie off, and we are flying high. We're like, oh, my goodness. You know, we're saving the world, you know. Or Jesus is saving the world through us. You know, it was that kind of moment. And we drive, and we leave, and it's like a week out from Easter. And on Easter Sunday, a week later, he asks to leave. And they take him to the bus station, and they pay his bus ticket back to Louisville. And we went from like this spiritual high to this feeling like a massive failure. It, you know, like we're so naive, we just don't get it. Do, do, you, do you ever feel like you, do you ever feel guilty that you don't do enough for the homeless? Do you ever feel that way? In our scene this morning in Luke chapter 18, I hope you've turned there in your Bible, Luke chapter 18. Jesus encounters a man begging he encounters a, a, a man begging. And I just, I just want us to, to consider three things as we look at this text. And let me tell you before we read the text what's going to happen here. Jesus is on his way to Jericho, and it's not long before he's going to the cross. And so you can just imagine all that Jesus has on his mind. He's going to the cross. And uh, what's going to come, what's going to come in the next, you know, several days is, is Jesus is going to have the first installation of like the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion. He's going to bring his disciples together and he's going to give them communion for the very first time ever in this way. And, um, and, and he's, he's got all this on his mind. A great crowd. He's on his way to Jericho. And the blind beggar who in Mark's gospel account we hear his name is Bartimaeus. Uh, but in Luke, Luke doesn't mention his name. Mark tells us his name is Bartimaeus. So blind Bartimaeus is on the side of the road and um, a blind beggar on the side of the road on the way to Jericho and a big crowd and Bartimaeus asks, what's all the commotion? He hears the crowd. What's going on? What's all the commotion? And they say, well, it's, 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 it's Jesus. And he immediately says, son of David, have mercy on me. And all the crowds are like, shut up, shut up, leave him alone. And he just continues to yell, Son of David! Son of David, have mercy on me! And there must have been something about that phrase, Son of David, that captured Jesus' attention. And Jesus said, would, would you bring him over here to me? And he brings the blind man over to Jesus, and he says, what do, you, what do you want me to do for you? It was kind of obvious what the man would want, you know, right? Like, I'm, I'm blind, Jesus, you know, like, blind, have mercy on me! What do you want me to, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus said, your faith. It, you're healed. You, regain your sight. And he can see. And he, he follows Jesus and he glorifies Jesus and the crowd praises Jesus. Let's read this together in the text. Luke chapter 18, verse 35. And as he, knew, as he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, 
What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. I just want us to consider three things briefly this morning. And the first thing is I want us to consider Jesus' compassion and kingship. Jesus' compassion here to me is stunning, namely in part because he's got so much already on his mind. Um, How do you react when people interrupt you when you've got something on your mind? For, for me, like, Saturday night is, like, the classic time I've got something on my mind, you know? Like, if you invite me to a social event on Saturday night, please don't be offended if I don't come. I usually, like, turn into a pumpkin about 6 p.m. Because I'm thinking about this moment. I'm just, like, I'm dialing in. I'm thinking about it. I'm meditating on it. I'm carrying it a little bit. And in our house, uh, our family knows don't bother Dad on Saturday night, you know, and as you would have it, the devil like always tries to, you know, disrupt Susan and I and get us in an argument on Saturday night, right? And, um, but in our home, it's kind of like, that's sacred time, right? Like that's, you just, just leave dad alone, right? He's got a lot on his mind. And I just think, I think Jesus had a little more on his mind than I do on Saturday nights. He was preparing to go to the cross. He was preparing to serve Holy Communion to his disciples. He was preparing to be betrayed, And yet, he turns to this man and shows compassion on him. So Jesus, what what stuns me about Jesus' compassion is he had some things on his mind. He had some plans, but it also stuns me about his compassion because this man was a beggar. And how do you respond when you see beggars? (laughs) Like, is compassion the first response or is cynicism the first response? I mean, if you pay attention, like you know as well as I do, there's people that like work the exits on interstates. And when I say they work the exits on interstates, like they've got, they, like they, they drove over there, they're asking for money, they're going to drive to another exit, they're working it. And they're not, they're not, uh, they're not as much in, in need as much as they are trying to take advantage of goodwill people. And so it's kind of like one of the, like, you know, when you experience like one bad apple, so to speak, it kind of makes you jaded toward anybody that might be in need. Do you experience that? Do you feel that way? So anytime you see anybody in need, then you just automatically assume, well, they're just, <laughs> they don't really need, they're just trying to steal my money. They're going to use it on drugs. They're going to use it on alcohol, right? So like, it's easy to look at somebody in need and assume that they are in the place that they are because of their own bad decisions. But have you ever considered that they are in the place that they are perhaps because of someone else's bad decisions? When, when we were giving birth to twins, maybe I should say when Susan was giving birth to twins, <laughs> and we were in the hospital in New York City, she shared a room with another woman that was giving birth, and the woman was homeless. And, and, I, and I just think this woman was giving birth to a young child who would be born into a family, a broken family of a woman who was living in a homeless shelter. And so I just wonder what the first few years of this young child's life must have been like, of going from homeless shelter to homeless shelter to homeless shelter. And 
before she ever had a choice to do anything, choices were being made for her about where she would live and the kind of lifestyle that she would experience. And so I think when we immediately assume and we look at somebody that's down and out or look at somebody that's homeless or look at somebody that's begging and we just immediately cynically kind of make these judgments that they are in the place that they are because of all of their own sinful decisions, we make wrong judgments on people because often people find themselves in the place that they're in, not because of their own sinful decisions, but because of other people's decisions and other people's brokenness and other people's mistakes or other where they were raised. And so I just think amazing. Jesus' compassion is just amazing. He had so much on his mind and he could have looked and like we do, just assume that somebody wanted to steal his money or take his money and abuse his money and use it on drugs or whatever it might be, and yet he had compassion. Jesus' compassion. It's not just Jesus' compassion that strikes me here, though, but it's Jesus' kingship. It's Jesus' kingship. The blind man uses this phrase, son of David, son of David. This is the first time in Luke's gospel that the phrase son of David was used. And I can't help but to think that that must have been what captured Jesus' ear because son of David was a, a messianic title from the Old Testament. In particular, we see in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that God, through the prophet Nathan, told David that, um, that someone from David's line is going to sit on the throne forever. Forever. So God made this promise to King David that his throne was going to be established. And so you ever read through the Bible and you read through the genealogies and you're like, what's the purpose of all these genealogies? Well, part of the purpose of the genealogy, genealogies is to show us the amazing providence of God and the amazing power of God in fulfilling prophecies that were made in the Old Testament. So the promise goes to David, your throne's going to last forever. And then even the genealogies show us how Jesus was connected to the throne of, of David. And so here, this blind man says, son of David. And what he was saying, friends, listen. What he was saying when he cried out, son of David, is you're the promised one. You're the coming king. You, you're the king that's going to sit on the throne forever. Forever. It's not hard to see that people long for a good ruler. <laughs> You see that so strong in our own country. Whenever the political season rolls around, you see the hunger and the thirst of human beings to be ruled by someone that they think is worthy of being ruled by. You see this thirst and this longing to be led. And all, all of the kings of Israel and all of the presidents of the United States are always going to fail the people that they're seeking to lead. And King Jesus shows up, and he's both king and compassionate. In, in other words, Jesus really, listen to this, Jesus really fulfills the longing of every human being. And that we all long to have a compassionate leader. We all long to have a compassionate ruler. We all long to have a compassionate king. One that, one that rules with justice and, and mercy. And that's who Jesus was. Son of David. You see Jesus' kingship in what he did with the man's blindness, don't you? You see that Jesus is king and that, what do you want me to do for you, he says. Recover my sight. And with a word, with a word, Jesus says, your sight is recovered and the man can see. Jesus is demonstrating that he has authority over the physical realm. He has authority over blindness. He has authority over disease. Jesus is establishing his kingship. 
Friends, listen, this is such a hopeful word for us today. Because Jesus was giving a glimpse of his kingdom. Listen, when Jesus was born, the kingdom of God was inaugurated. And what we like to say as we understand it is that the kingdom of God is already but not yet. In other words, it's already come but it's not yet here in full. And when Jesus healed this man, he was showing my kingdom is here. My kingdom is here. My rule is here. And this is what it looks like under my rule. Not a blind eye. (laughs) No. No broken bone, no disease, no tear coming from an eye. That's what happens when Jesus rules. That's what happens in Jesus' kingdom. And so we are God's children, God's kingdom people, and we long for him to bring his kingdom in full. That's why like the last verse, last couple of verses in Revelation says, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Because we recognize we live in a broken world and we can't fix our world, but our coming king will bring wholeness and healing to the brokenness in this world. So every disease that we cry out for healing in this world, sometimes Jesus heals it like he heals the blind man, but but it's a picture of what he's promised to bring when he brings his kingdom in full. That's why we can't get too comfortable in this world. This world is not our home. There's a coming kingdom that is our home. And hallelujah, every blind eye will see. I'm stunned just by seeing these pictures of Jesus' compassion and his kingship. I also want to invite you this morning to consider the the blind beggar's faith. The blind beggar's faith. I just wonder how long he had been blind. And and I, I wonder how many doctors he had visited. I, yeah, I wonder how many people promised, hey, I, I think we've got something that'll help your blindness. I wonder if he was ever tempted to like visit like a witch doctor. You know, like somebody to cast a spell to like try to give him his blindness. I, I wonder as this blind man is a beggar, I wonder how many times he had been cussed out. You, you know, he's blind and he's begging, so he's disrupting people all the time, Right? He's probably bumping into people. He's asking for something. He's probably homeless because he probably is not able to earn a living because of his blindness. There's probably not like, he's probably dependent upon God's people giving alms and there's no government structures to take care of him. So I just wonder like how many times he had been cussed out, how many times he had been rejected, like sitting on the side of the road, how many times people had gone by and he had asked for help and and people just passed and say, no, no. No, no. <laughs> do, you, do you ever, um, do you ever like when you, when you pass somebody in need, like sometimes like not only do you, not only do you not extend aid, like you don't even look them in the eye. And it's almost like, have you ever, have you ever been in that situation where like you told yourself, don't look them in the eye? Don't even, don't even look them in the eye. It's like we won't even dignify a person created in the image of God. And so I, just, I just wonder how many times, not only, had he not, not only had he been rejected in terms of people not giving him any aid, but I just wonder how many times people would not even look him in the face. He couldn't see it, but I wonder if he just felt it. So I just wonder if he just even, even felt it. His faith is amazing to me because you could just only imagine that his life must have been a life filled with rejection. Of people saying, no, I'm not going to help. 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 It's Jesus. Son of David, have mercy on me. 
You just think like living in a posture of constant rejection and yet Jesus comes out and you believe. You believe that Jesus both can do something about your blindness and wants to do something about your blindness. Listen, friends, let this blind man's faith inspire you to believe that Jesus is good, that Jesus loves you, that Jesus sees you, that Jesus is for you, that Jesus has a heart of compassion toward you. You let his faith. I mean, how many times have you, has the accuser gotten into your ear and said, not worthy, not worthy of God's love, not worthy of, of being seen by God? And so sometimes for us, too, we may shrink back and be tempted not to believe that Jesus wants to have anything to do with us. We may feel like Jesus, we may feel like we've just, you know, we've just had too many bad Friday nights. We've had too many you know, intense arguments. We've just failed and made a royal mess of things. Surely Jesus doesn't want to have anything to do with us. But then we hear Jesus' word saying, Noah, the physician came for the sick, not for the well. This, this, blind, this blind beggar's faith is amazing. One of the reasons it's amazing to me is, is because of how he overcame the rebuke of the crowd. This is the third consideration that I want us to consider this morning is the crowd's rebuke. The, the blind man cries out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And all the crowd who were following Jesus, so seemingly like religious people, like we don't know that they were like faithful disciples of Jesus yet because Jesus always had a crowd around him because of his miracles, right? Some of them were probably, probably a mingling of Jesus' disciples and just people that were like kind of wanting to see what's going on, you know? But here's the crowd, and like all of them are like, man, be quiet, leave Jesus alone. Leave, leave, leave Jesus alone. And all the more he cries out, Son of David, have mercy on me. The crowd is often powerful in our lives, isn't it? Isn't it amazing how enslaved we are to other people's opinions? You ever wish you could just like totally break free from what other people think? What we see in this scene in Jesus' life with this blind this blind man, it's just simply this. The crowd's opinion is not always right. Just let that sink in this morning. The, the, the crowd's collective advice is not always the best advice to follow. Imagine with me if the blind man had to listen to the crowd. Had he listened to the crowd, he wouldn't regain his sight. He wouldn't have encountered the healing power of Jesus. Friends, listen to me. I believe that in our lives, the crowd will seek to hamper God's work in our life often. And we can't listen to the crowd. The crowd is different than wise counsel. And, and so the scripture encourages us to seek wise counsel, that's not the same as listening to the crowd. The crowd will tell you um, how you ought to dress and how you ought to speak and the jokes that you ought to laugh at and the places you ought to go. And the crowd will tell you what you ought to do to be popular and what you ought to do to be accepted. That's what the crowd will tell you to do. And the crowd will tell you who to date and all these things. The crowd will tell you all these things. And you can listen to the crowd or you can listen to the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God was moving in this blind man's heart saying, that's the son of David. That's the son of David. I can't help but to think that, that sometimes the, the perceived opinion of the crowd might hinder some of us here in worship. <laughs> it seems like every other week, 
It seems like every other week somebody tells me, um, when you were preaching that, I, was just, I just wanted to shout. And I just like, I'm like, why didn't you? You know? And, you know, somebody will say, man, in that last song, I just wanted to dance. I'm like, why, why, why didn't you? Well, I, 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 you know, I, <laughs> there's never a good response to that question, you know. There's no, you know, like sometimes like it'll be a real polished, well, I don't want to distract someone else. So who are you most chiefly concerned with? Your God who's worthy of your shout and your dance or someone else? Do you see, do you see how the perception of the crowd might even hinder your worship in this place that we say Sunday after Sunday is a place of freedom? Do you see that, friends? Do you see, do you see how the, perce- the perceived, like, what's permitted here? What's permitted here? You know, sometimes, sometimes people will come in and say, what kind of church is this, you know? Like, is this, is this a church where I'm allowed to shout? Well, if it's our church and we get to say what goes on, <laughs> it's Jesus' church. So if the Spirit of God moves in you to shout, Son of David, have mercy on me. Can I just encourage you to shout, Son of David, have mercy on me. If the Spirit of God leads you to dance in this place, would you just be a little less concerned about what everybody else thinks and be chiefly concerned about what the Lord who's worthy of your worship thinks? If the Lord is moving in your heart to get on your knees or to fall on your face, to lift up your hands, if the Lord is leading you to walk across this room and put your arm around somebody and pray for them, would you just worry a little less about what everybody else thinks and chiefly be concerned about what Jesus thinks? I can only imagine what this place might look like if all of us break free from being afraid of what other people think, the crowd. And we just cry out. And when the person in front of us turns around and looks at us like, (laughs) we just sing louder and shout louder. Isn't that what the blind man did? Yeah. And listen, don't miss this. Don't miss this. Jesus was not looking for a show. He was looking for faith. Jesus wasn't impressed by how loud this man was shouting. Jesus was moved by this man's faith. That's what what Jesus was commending. So for you, like a faithful response might be, I have to cover my mouth and not speak in the presence of the Almighty. Or it may mean I've got to shout at the top of my lungs because I've been shouting for all these earthly treasures and all these earthly victories and all these earthly people and I need to shout for the supernatural King of Kings and Lord of Lords who's coming again and he's bringing his kingdom when he comes. That's who I need to shout for this morning. Can I just encourage you, church, just pray that the Lord will set you free. Just just pray and ask the Lord to lead you. Ask the Spirit of God to be the chief influence of your worship. Ask the Lord to shape what your worship looks like. Not tradition, not what you've experienced, and not what you think the crowd accepts and approves of. Because the crowd flat on rebuked this man. They just rebuked him. Quit yelling. Quit, Quit bothering Jesus. And he just yelled all the more. He just yelled all the more. This could happen in so many areas, couldn't it? A child could be called to the mission field and even his family might discourage that sense of calling. Don't listen to the crowd, listen to the Spirit of God.
We're going to come to Holy Communion this morning, but I just want us to sit in this moment and take a few minutes to prepare. We're going to come to the Lord's, the Lord's Supper. And so, but this morning, um, let's just take a few minutes to prepare our hearts to come. And so maybe you want to come and kneel here at the altar. Maybe you want to kneel where you are. Maybe you want to make your way back to the prayer station. Before we come to the Lord's table, let's just reflect upon Jesus' compassion. Friends, some of you have never imagined that the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, might look at you and say to you, what do you want me to do for you? Some of you never imagined that God loves you enough, that God cares for you enough, that God is concerned about your life enough that he would look to you and say, what do you want me to do for you? And if you haven't heard anything this, this morning, would you just hear the Son of God, the Son of David, the Son of Man, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus the Christ, would you just hear him say to you, what do you want me to do for you? Some of you are in bondage to addiction this morning and you want to cry out, Son of David, set me free from my addiction. Some of you this morning, you're weighed down with depression and you want to cry out, Son of David, I believe you can set me free from my depression. Some of you are in bondage to bitterness this morning and you want to cry out, Son of David, set me free, set me free. Some of you are just under the weight of shame, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And you just want to cry out, Son of David, would you forgive me? Forgive me of my sins. Son of David, restore my marriage. Son of David, strengthen me. Son of David, provide for the job. Son of David, heal me of my disease. Son of David, what do you want me to do for you? Is what Jesus said to the man. What do you... Would you feel the heartbeat of Jesus? What do you want me to do for you? Listen, it's not all about us. It's all about the glory of God. But can we just acknowledge this, this morning that it's the giver that gets the glory? And when God lavishes good things upon his children, he gets great glory. And so listen to the voice of Jesus as you prepare your heart for communion. Communion is a meal for followers of Jesus to remember the death of Jesus and his resurrection. To remember the, the cross, the, how he bore our sins on the cross. And so in, in a moment, we're going to come, we're going to tear bread, we're going to dip it in the cup. Um, And we're going to remember his death. But let's just prepare our hearts and let's hear the voice of Jesus say, what do you want me to do for you? Thank you for listening. We trust that God is stirring something special in your heart today. We hope to see you on Sunday very soon. Keep it real. Keep it Jesus.